you ransomed your bride on the day that you died, ascended to heaven in glory. We stand clothed in white with our voice lifted high, singing, come and return in your glory. I don't know what your relationship is with Jesus Christ. I hope it's one of trust in him as your Lord and Savior. But that song puts out before us how fair Jesus is. Fair, not in the sense of blonde or light. I mean, Jesus was neither. But fair in the sense of beautiful, attractive, the heart's desire. Jesus. Jesus the rescuer. Jesus the healer. Jesus the forgiver, the restorer, the dawn of the promised kingdom. Jesus the resurrection. Jesus the life. I mean, no wonder the New Testament ends with the cry, Come, Lord Jesus. And his return to earth is something to look forward to, especially in these dark days. But meanwhile, he's called his people to live with gospel hope in this broken world. So I invite you to turn with me to one of the most redefining passages in the entire Bible when it comes to God's people living in this world world. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Please turn there. I'm going to read to you verses 21 through 29. They are part of a bigger block, verses 18 down through chapter 2, verse 5. And that bigger block is, as one person put it, one of the truly great moments in the writings of the Apostle Paul and in the whole of Scripture. It's such a great text. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand as I read it. Stand where you are. 1 Corinthians 1, 21 through 29. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and Christ the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers and sisters, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is God's Word. I want to share with you a funny story. It has just a little bit of exaggeration in it, but not not a lot. Karen and I know of a woman who is, uh, in normal times, a gym rat. She's always at the gym for classes, treadmill, aerobics, lifting, stretching. But of course, right now, there's no gym. And so she lives in her small apartment with her small dog. 
And she doesn't have any equipment, and so she's been doing a whole lot of stretching. Quad stretches, back stretches, opposite arm leg stretches, you know, these kinds of things. All the time, day after day. So it's no surprise that one morning, when she woke up, she heard this sound from over by her closet, and she looked over, and there was her little dog doing this. And there's actually a moral to that story. And that is that God has built into his creatures, especially into us humans, the ability to learn by seeing, watching, hearing, and listening. Scientists call this observational learning or social learning. And over the past five years, Scientists out in California and up in Massachusetts have been, have been identifying how God has organized human brains so that we can learn in this way. There's an incredible circuit in our brains that brings together different sections so that we can learn by watching. We can learn socially in relationship. Now, when it comes to so many human things, social learning is a huge gift. I mean, learning to walk. Is in relationship. Learning to talk in relationship. People will say to me sometimes, you know, Matt, you, you, you talk so funny. And I'll just answer back, well, well, you know, you should hear how the rest of my family talks. When it comes to living as God's people in the world, however, this social learning presents a problem. There's a different story to be told. And that story is why you and I need the local church, even when there is no church. You see, if you are are a follower of Christ, you need the church to rescue you from all the constant messaging of the world system around you, all the stuff that you see and hear and watch and listen to, that messaging. It's it's seeking to, to push you and shape you. This is what Paul's talking about here. He's telling the Corinthians, you need to be rescued from the empty and destructive messages around you. And the local church can help you in that rescue. Let's work with the text. There are all kinds of rescuing truths here. I'm just going to pull out three of them. First rescuing truth. You are immersed in an unavoidable insistent and spiritually dangerous system. That system is what Paul calls here the world. Cosmos in Greek. We get our word cosmos from it. Used 185 times in the New Testament. In the Gospel of John, it's used 78 times. I mean, if you want to learn about what the New Testament has to say regarding the world, Go to the Gospel of John. That's the place. But the runner-up is 1 Corinthians. Right here in this section, chapter 1, verses 18 through 2-5, the the, the bigger block, five times in these verses the word world is used. And if you add in closely associated synonyms, that number doubles. Now, in the New Testament, the word world has at least five different meanings. They're on a spectrum, and at one end of the spectrum, you have the word world used simply to refer to the globe, the earth, 
you know, what you stand on. You're, you're sitting presumably on a seat or a couch or something. And that cedar couch is on a floor, and that floor is on a, on a, a wall that takes you down to a foundation, and that foundation is on the world, the earth, the globe. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, different meanings in between, at the other end of the spectrum is world being used in the sense of the human system in all its sin and its brokenness. And that world system was all around the Corinthians. And Paul tells them that. Look at verse 21. He says, In the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, through its education and expertise and skill and training. It couldn't figure God out. And in fact, the world will, as Paul goes on later to say here, the world will lead you astray. The world's values are contrary to God's values. Down in verse 26, Paul identifies three of the the most empty and most dangerous values of the world. Let me walk you through them there in verse 26. The first one is presented in the word wise, wisdom. It's the first value. Not in the Old Testament sense of proverbial wisdom, but in the Greek sense of wisdom, as in education and expertise and training, all to help you be articulate and influential in how you think and how you speak and how you persuade. That's wisdom. False value. A second false value there in verse 26 is what Paul refers to with the word powerful. Now, in the Corinthian context and its history as a Roman colony, that word powerful would have in it the idea of wealth, especially newly acquired wealth that brought with it influence and control and sway. So we'll call that wealthy power. Wisdom, wealthy power, and thirdly, verse 26, right down at the end, noble birth, social standing and status, being among the elite, the cream of society, uh, in the inner circle. You know, when I look at those three values, it is incredible to me how those Corinthian values are so alive and well here in central Jersey. Education, power, control, being among the elite. We're being presented with that. We're being messaged around those all the time. I was talking to a friend a few days ago on Zoom. He's on the screen there. And as we were talking, my, my friend, I should back up, my friend has activated on his computer and on his smartphone all the notification sounds. So as we're sitting there, there was one period in our conversation where like every, every couple seconds there was a ding, 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 ding as he's getting emails or messages or whatever. I was going crazy. This guy, this poor guy is getting messages all the time. You and I are too. The world is messaging its values to us all the time. The shows you watch, the movies you download, the jokes you hear, 
the advertisements you see. I mean, you, you, you go onto the web. Let's say you go on to a site to, to get the latest on the coronavirus. And as you're sitting there reading about it, on the side, there's going to be a, a, an ad, a customized ad, persuading you of how cool it would be. Here are the values. How wise, how powerful, how elitist, how in the inner circle you would be if you owned that thing or got that service. Wake up, Paul's saying. The world is seeking to press you into its mold. You're immersed in this constant messaging. And like that dog that we saw earlier, you will imitate and absorb these values if you are not rescued. Which leads me then to the second rescuing truth. God has given you his local church to rescue you from all those messages by placing you under the regular preaching of the upside-down gospel. This is verses 21 through 25. The gospel, just by its content, contradicts those empty and dangerous values of the world. The gospel is upside down. Now, the center of Paul's argument in verses 21 through 25 is in verse 23, where he says, we preach Christ crucified. We preach about a Messiah who is crucified. One of the best thinkers and writers on 1 Corinthians is Gordon Fee. And I'm going to read from something he wrote to make the point about Christ crucified and the foolishness that was back then. He writes, It is hard for those in the Christianized West where the cross has been the primary symbol of the faith for untold centuries to appreciate how utterly mad, my bold added, how utterly mad the message of a God who got himself crucified must have seemed to the first century Greek or Roman. But it is precisely the depth of this scandal and folly that we must appreciate if we are to understand why the Corinthians were moving away from it toward wisdom, quote-unquote, and why it was well over a century before the cross appears among Christians as a symbol of their faith. Christ crucified on a cross. God's promised rescuer, dead, dead by execution in a cruel and ugly way. And why? Well, to show the the wise, God's way of salvation is not the way that you might think it should be. To show to the wealthy, powerful, what you need to get right with God is not something that you can buy. To show to the elite, you will have to humble yourself and believe in a crucified, yes, crucified Messiah to be saved. You know, I know and love some of the old great hymns, and among them is the old rugged cross. Here are the opening lines from that hymn. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering and shame. And I love that old cross where the dearest and best 
for a world of lost sinners was slain. That's the gospel, so well captured. Slain for sinners, that, that wonderful Messiah, the best and the dearest. I love that gospel, and I love this hymn. And in the hymn, we're, we're told that, that we love the cross. But in loving the cross, in loving that hymn, I, I, I might have overlooked a bit of the cross's cruelty and ugliness and scandal and contradiction. For when left to myself, the cross loses that upside-down power. I need the cross preached to me. You need the cross preached to you. And that's why we need the church. Even when there is no church. To rescue us through the preaching of the upside-down gospel. Third rescuing truth. God has given you his local church to rescue you from all those world's messages by placing you in an upside-down community, a community of the foolish, the weak, the low, and the despised. Welcome to Stonehill Church. This is verses 26 through 29, where Paul describes the social reality of the Corinthian church. He says, verse 26, consider your calling. In other words, think about the circumstances in which you became a Christian. Think about it. In the world's estimation, he goes on to say, most of you were not wise, most of you were not powerful, most of you were not of elite status. I mean, there were a few, but only a few. And studies today confirm about the church in those early centuries, what, what Paul is saying here about the Corinthians. Here's what one person put. The truly unique feature of early Christianity was that it cut across all sociological lines and fully accepted as brothers and sisters, both slave and free, both Jew and Gentile, both male and female. Now, that's a testimony to the power of the gospel. But it's a problem, too. Because in a healthy, gospel-centered local church, you will find people who are opposite you, who are, who are not like you at all. All kinds of differences. It might be educational level. It might be socioeconomics. It might be birth and background. It might be first language. It might be U.S. citizen or not. It might be ethnicity. It might be preferred food. It might be clothing. It might be culturally acceptable smell. It might be physical or mental disability. There's plenty of stuff, plenty of stuff to make for all kinds of misunderstandings and conflict and avoidance and distrust and dislike. And we're going to come back to this next week. But those differences are exactly what you and I need. Because they tell us, verses 26 through 29, God doesn't fit my box. He's bigger than all this. He's the God of all people, and he's rescuing all kinds of people. Verse 29, to put it in those words, none of us, regardless of 
our backgrounds or status or whatever. None of us can ever boast in the presence of God. So you and I need those at times stressing and challenging relationships because they demonstrate the foolishness of God and the gospel to a supposedly wise world. You and I need the local church because, first of all, we are immersed in a spiritually dangerous system. We need the local church because, secondly, it rescues us from that system by the regular preaching of the upside-down gospel. And we need the local church because, thirdly, it rescues us from the world system by placing us in an upside-down community. You and I need the local church. To those of you who see yourselves as among the, quote-unquote, upside-down, the less educated, the weak, the low, the despised, The church needs you because together we need each other to be rescued from the world. Let's pray. Father, by your Holy Spirit, plant the truths of this redefining text into our hearts and lives. Even in these COVID virtual church times, We need the church. So shape us, so form us. In Jesus' name, amen.